0: Welcome back to Trivial Matters with Dan and Zach. It's an exciting day for us to be recording here. It's bright and early on a Sunday, and that's why I'm giving the intro, right, Zach? (laughs) You can keep giving the intro. You're doing great. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. (laughs) And uh, yeah, joining the usual combination of Dan and Zach, we have our good friend and very good boy, Noah Suchoff. How are you doing today, Noah?
1: Doing great, Dan. I mean, it is bright and early on Sunday, but happy to get to talk about uh, some sports today. Exactly.
0: And so we have Noah here today because maybe one of the most anticipated sports documentary events of all time came out this past, um, what, month, two months. And it was something that they couldn't release it until Michael Jordan gave his permission. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is, of course, The Last Dance. And this is the documentary that um, centers around the 97-98 chicago bulls team that was the last of the six championships that michael jordan won that team had a lot of great personalities on it and we went through kind of the history of the bulls and more about michael jordan you know, as we went along through the documentary especially in a time of no sports but it took them 20 years to get michael jordan's approval and it took a crisis for them to push up the release of this documentary and obviously we were all thrilled about it before we actually get started talking about the documentary we learned a lot about michael jordan and how he burns bridges with some teammates and other teammates you know say he was the best thing that ever happened to them and so i have a list of seven players here and you have to tell me whether or not michael jordan burned the bridge with them aka he was his teammate at some point or Michael Jordan never had the pleasure of playing with this man. Are you ready, boys? Seven names. I think so. And we're talking, by the way, this is just NBA teammates, so if you played with them on some Olympic team, if you played with them on some sort of international thing, or if you played with them on the White Sox minor league team, it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our first name up is Rusty LaRue. Rusty LaRue, it's Rusty LaRue. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great name. that's for sure yes. mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Um... Is he someone that Michael Jordan burned a bridge with, or is he someone that Michael Jordan never had the chance to harass on the practice court?
1: I'm going to go with he never had the chance to play with him in the NBA.
0: Okay. I'm
1: going to take the opposite and say that he did. Rusty
0: LaRue was a member of that last dance team, actually. He was on the 97-98 Bulls. Uh <laughs> not never one... mentioned. <laughs> exactly. Not one of the names that got featured. Uh, what about Chris Gatling? <laughs>
1: Chris Gatling. I'm going to stick with didn't get to play with him.
0: Okay. I'm going to say no on this one also. You're right. He actually played against him during the last dance playoff run as part of the New Jersey Nets. All right, all right. Next up, we have a name that maybe you'd know, Noah. It's Mario Bennett. He was, Mario Bennett. I, I believe, a member of the Phoenix Suns at some point. Okay. A while ago. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man. But was he a member of either the Bulls or the Wizards? Well, the or... Jordan Bulls. Yes. Yeah,
2: yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yes. Um, I'm going to say that he... He did get to play with him. He did.
0: Okay. I agree. I'm gonna say that as well. Well, he was a member of the Bulls. It was just the '99 Bulls, so Jordan was no longer there. Yeah. So, so far, uh, what Zach is one for three. Noah, you're you're bagel in here, or no? You got one.
2: No, no, Zach. I've gotten two. two. Zach
0: got two. You got Chris Gatling. That's right.
2: Always trying to give me less than I have, Dan. Come oh, I'm on. sorry. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs>
0: next name on our list is Christian Leitner.
1: I mean, that's a name that we all recognize.
0: Exactly. <laughs> and he was definitely on the
2: Dream Team. I'm going to say he was not a teammate of Jordan's otherwise. Okay.
1: Um, I, for the similar reasoning, I'm going to say the same.
0: Well, I appreciate uh, your reasoning, both of you. However, he was a member of the O2 Wizards with Michael Jordan. Oh. oh. <laughs>
1: I keep forgetting about anything post bowls. Well, it's easy. So
0: that's like another thing we can talk about when we get to the documentary part of it is that Michael Jordan played for the Wizards for almost three years. There's Mm -hmm. a lot more to his story in the NBA than we just saw in The Last Dance. And, you know, the, the depth of this guy is crazy, but it is that weird feeling of seeing a legend for a franchise wearing a different Jersey. It's the same thing you saw with like, let's say Mike Madonna wearing a Red Wings Jersey, for example, Brodeur wearing a blues Jersey. I'm talking hockey because that's what I know. But like, (laughs) I don't know if, let's say if David Ortiz ever wore a different Jersey or Derek Jeter, that's what that feels like. Tom Brady wearing a Buccaneers Jersey. Well, he hasn't worn that yet. So we, we don't know how weird it looks yet. (laughs) when
1: johnny damon switched over to the yankees jersey
0: mm, but right. he was on the yankees yeah, so for a while that's it's different than was. like whole career in one place and then
2: right but, but he was so point. associated with the red sox when
0: he moved oh to sure the yankees. sure yeah. sure sure yeah that's fair okay so well with that o2 wizards team that won less than half their games somehow uh christian leitner was indeed there the next name we have on our list is fred hoiberg
1: Fred Hoiberg. Sounds like a hockey player. Well,
0: Fred Hoiberg uh, was the coach of the Bulls most recently.
1: Yeah. 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 But I'm just saying in general. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, like I wouldn't place him as someone who actually played, but I know that he did. Oh, for sure he um, did. <laughs> and I would say that he did not get to play with Jordan.
0: Okay. Agreed. Yes, Agreed. you are both correct. He was on that Pacers team that they were up against. Uh, in mm-hmm. the last stands and also he was part of the 99 2000 Bulls so post Jordan. So you guys are you guys are catching on. Okay, it's happening. Next up is uh Dicky Simpkins. Dicky Simpkins. Dickie uh, Simpkins. Dickie uh, exactly, Simpkins. Go on this I'm going to say I'm going to
2: say <laughs> I, and I have no reasoning behind this other than just like a gut feeling that he was on a team with Jordan. Okay.
1: I'm I'm behind by a point, so I'll say the opposite to see if I can make up this point. (laughs) Okay,
0: unfortunately, I think that gives the win to Zach here, because he was on the 96-97 Bulls.
1: (laughs) I had to try somewhere.
0: (laughs) And the last name on our list, and you know, it's inconsequential, but everything's made up on the points don't matter on Trivial Matters. Anyway, Jerry Stackhouse.
2: I say that he was hopefully wishing (laughs) for the the (laughs) Wizards. Yeah, I, I think I going though I think he was.
0: Yeah, of course, part of that legendary O2 Wizards team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Jerry Stackhouse, Christian Laettner, Michael Jordan, <laughs> and they won 37 games or something <laughs> like that. That's brutal. It's really not good. Um, that's yeah. There's some interesting names on here in terms of the basketball world, and obviously that's something that I think in terms of being basketball observers. Let's let's get into the documentary now. But in terms of being observers, I think. The way you and I grew up, Zach, we didn't really watch too much basketball. I mean, you don't have a local team to latch on to. Your closest is the Cavaliers, right? So yeah. that's what you were watching. And when we were growing up, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, when we could have been probably most influenced influence in our sports fanhood, they were not very good. So obviously I don't <laughs> expect you to have been paying attention then because the Penguins were fine, but the Steelers were very good. So there you go. That all being said... My local team moved to Brooklyn, whatever, they've never won, anything like that, but I was too young and watching other sports, and I didn't really realize the magnitude of Michael Jordan, and that's something that I think, as this documentary came out, every episode, you could just see more and more news stories, and imagining some of the things that happened to this team, as they would happen today on social media, like, what do you think it would be like if the Dennis Rodman story came out all over Twitter? Dennis Rodman, sorry the specific story of him taking a vacation for a month. I mean, I, I would say that like one of my primary
2: motivations in watching this was just because I didn't really know NBA history for the reasons that you said, I didn't have a local team. And even though the calves were the closest team, and, you know, got LeBron James when I was 10, 11 years old, which was, you know, engaging and intriguing to watch. Uh, I, I, It's a Cleveland team. It wasn't a Pittsburgh team. It wasn't something that I was interested in. So my knowledge of NBA history is pretty low, uh, especially of the Jordan era. Like, I knew that Jordan was an amazing player. I knew that they had won six championships. And I knew that Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman were names that surrounded – michael jordan but i didn't know anything about them Mm -hmm. like i didn't know you know their influence on the game as well as i knew michael jordan's i didn't know the way that those bulls teams came together i didn't really even know a lot about steve kerr's career as a player i think of him as the warriors coach Mm -hmm. uh and i know that he's had a lot of other roles but that's sort of my sport my nba knowledge Mm -hmm. um I think that it is really interesting to see the way that the Bulls – and and the documentary does a nice job of this um, and and one of the better things that the documentary does in showing the way that the Bulls uh, and specifically Michael Jordan had that sort of reach to make the NBA a more global – thing in the way that social media can do right away, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it You know, there were a couple of reasons why that happened, which the documentary talks about, which were like his shoe deal and the fact that he was in advertisements for everything and in, in Space Jam and all that kind of stuff that, you know, propelled his image to a place that a lot of other athletes at that time didn't really have, certainly not in the MLB or the NFL in the way that they are now. He sort of became the f- one of the first American... Global athletes, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that the dream team had something to do with that as well. And but you know, Michael Jordan changed the way that the NBA, you know, f- looked to fans all over the world rather than just to the U.S. Because people in the U.S. had other people that they could compare him to. They had Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. They had you know Bill Russell. They had Larry Bird. They had all these people who populated the sport who were known as these great athletes and great figures. You know Jerry West even before that. But Michael Jordan sort of took it to a new level that was you know, appropriate to the media that was available at the time, sort of the magazines and the TV commercials and the sneakers and just being a more global image. And I thought that the documentary did a pretty good job of showing that and introducing us to the language that the NBA has a little bit more now. You know, we we sort of cut off, and I, I we can talk about this more a little later, that the documentary sort of cuts off right bo- right before the second part of his career, which is just as interesting as the Bulls part of his career, yeah. Um, just not as successful. Yeah. It it just, it just establishes, you know, a lot of the norms that we see in the NBA today,
0: which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And no, I know, you know, we've talked about this before where you grew up and you are a little bit more actively involved in watching basketball because, you know, phoenix kid the Suns were actually very good at this time like while we were growing up they unfortunately didn't win anything but they came close a couple times and like they were they had good teams pretty consistently through the um 90s and early 2000s with you know steve nash whatever so in terms of your experience you know when you were young what do you do you remember anything specific about jordan he did play in the other conference but in terms of like finals matchups just following the league as a whole
1: uh, so with Jordan, in terms of what I had experienced, sort of that, that lore of the uh, jordan Barkley rivalry. Mm-hmm. Growing up and, <laughs> and knowing that Jordan had taken a, a title from us, the, probably our best chance to have won a title, mm-hmm. um, was the one that kind of sticks with you as you're uh, growing up as a Suns fan. Right. <laughs> but even beyond that, sort of catching the tail end of his career while I was starting to get into to basketball a bit more as the, the Suns started playing together their 2000 squad, um, a little bit before, obviously, a little before Nash and Stoudemire and Marion were really huge at that point. But um, getting up to that point, sort of putting it together towards the tail end of Jordan's career, um, you pay more attention. You know that he is talked about as the greatest of all time. And you kind of watch him on The Wizards, and it's kind of odd to see <laughs> that he's referred to as the greatest of all time. Yeah. And you see that. But then my my mom's family is from Chicago, so I also got the, the stories oh. from his Bulls days. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where you get the the uber fandom of not just Jordan but the the Bulls franchise, the Bulls dynasty, um, winning winning the six the the double three peats. Um, I mean, it's it's just it's something that we in our generation I think hear about, but we aren't familiar with it, which is very weird to say since we can be so. Uh, Aware of how important he is to the sport and how uh, aware of how important he was to um, that team in the 90s, um, but still not really understand what that team was. Mm -hmm. And I think that this documentary really gave us as somebody who never really lived during his, his, or never really paid attention, rather, during his peak, the ability to see how that came to be and how he actually came to be the best player of all time. I think it was really uh, an interesting take on it and really opened our eyes to this uh
0: not m- myth of sorts but well yeah no, he's I like did. a mythical you know, figure it's... almost though like he yeah. is air jordan like he he has a silhouette that is one of the most famous silhouettes in history like to have a silhouette that's that famous you need to be either really good at what you do or have a lot of money and he has both so you know <laughs> him jerry west like they are if you show people the logos like yes they can tell you This is what this represents. This is what this player represents. But the interesting thing I find is that process that you're talking about now where we get to see the Bulls develop into this championship contender. And you have to remember that, you know, Michael Jordan had been the league since 1984, which means he had that reputation that we've all seen LeBron James go through before he won his first championship of, yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's like probably one of the best players ever, but can he get it done? And once they each got it done, like it, it changes their legacy in a different way and i'm just you know i'm more than thrilled that lebron got um lebron got the one at least he has three now and you know he has plenty of career to go but there's always going to be that comparison which is now allowable since they both won michael jordan didn't just win and you know throw the monkey off his back he was winning and winning and winning and was more motivated than anyone to win but i'm wondering because we have social media now, because these stories that we hear about current teams get so, like, propagated and retweeted and, you know, so they're so present in, like, our daily lives and our social lives, would we be able to learn as much from a documentary of this style about a more modern team? Like, would we be able to be as surprised as we were hearing some of the stories about what the Bulls were going through and what was happening behind the scenes? Because it seems like this crew was the only one who got that kind of footage. Now I'm wondering, all these stories leak and like, you know, something even as small as the D'Angelo Russell locker room thing in the Lakers a couple of years ago, that could have been something that's a documentary plot point, you know, looking back on a different team. But we all know about that already. We've all seen the results of that and it's like a meme now. So my question to both of you is, can we get that same level of insight that we got from this or does it have to be about an era where the information was not as prominent?
1: Um, I would say that... For our generation, the people who are watching now growing not growing up, but living through what's going on currently, um, I don't think that we have that same realization if they were to produce a, a documentary about something that's going on right now. But I think if you were to wait 20 years from now mm-hmm. and create a, a documentary about stuff that's going on now, I think that you'd have the same feeling that we have currently with the, the Last Dance documentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a matter of just... Uh, Removing a generation from what's going on currently Mm -hmm. uh, in the future and saying, you didn't live through this. Here's how weird it was. Here's the weird intricacies and the eccentricities (laughs) and all these things that you didn't see in the moment because you Mm -hmm. either weren't paying attention because you were too young or you weren't alive yet Um, and being able to introduce them to that in the same way that we're being introduced to something that we didn't have the access to. Not just because we were either too young or, or or weren't paying attention, but for that same reason, we didn't have the access through social media. We didn't have the same access through general media either. Um,
2: and I think it'll have the same feeling, but I
1: think we'll have to wait a little
2: bit. Mm. Yeah, I think that there's. I, I think that the context is is exactly right, uh, as Noah said. It's about sort of introducing this stuff because you know it uses the you use the Dennis Rodman example where he just sort of like goes on vacation for what like come five off. days when he's supposed <laughs> to. He's supposed to be. He's supposed to have twenty four hours. I think he takes like six days. <laughs> um, and he just goes to Vegas and hangs out with. Connor.
0: I mean, can you believe that he left the playoffs to go beyond wrestling? Like, come on, And yeah, that's wild. The
2: fact that that would never—I mean, it would—it would—it would be—it would, it would, be would be hard to believe that that something like that would fly today. Like yeah. if, um I'm Trying to think of which who like Kevin Durant did that or
0: something like. No, that. but um, he doesn't have the personality for it. It's got to be no, someone I more know. like I'm, controversial.
2: Yeah, I was trying to—I was trying to think of Vontez Perfect. <laughs> sure. <Yeah. laughs> Vontez Burfict would. Oh God, I hate that guy. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, in in any case, I think that Noah's really like spot on with the idea of the context because when one of the things that the documentary did was it placed all of these things within a media narrative as well. Mm-hmm. Like it played, you know, it had a sports center. I think it was Linda Cohn in that ex, in that specific example. It has her saying like Dennis Rodman hasn't been at practice in five days. Like where is he? Like nobody knows. Um, you know, what do you guys think of this? And they would bring on talking heads to talk about it. You know, that's the same thing that happens now with social media. Somebody will like tweet something or putting on something on social media Or something will happen after a game and we'll have a little bit more instant access to it as consumers right now. But it would be the documentarian's job to put all of those things into context and to make those things feel fresh in the same way that this did. With information that people who probably followed the Bulls really closely, like if you find a Chicago fan from 98, they might say... Oh, I remember when Dennis Rodman like went to WrestleMania, and we were all like, "What is he doing?" <laughs> um, you know that 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 might exist in their minds in a way that it doesn't in ours. Um, it, which is, I think, uh, really important to helping frame the story and the narrative in a certain way of people like remember when this happened, which is something that. I wonder what will happen with the ESPN's forthcoming Tom Brady documentary, which feels much too soon for the time in which it will be coming out. Well,
0: so the, And I don't say that just because I don't like Tom Brady. Right, right. Well, the weird thing is that matter of distance, you know, I, I think in terms of what was available to report on those stories at the time, in terms of the access that reporters had, they didn't get the level of detail that we might have in stories today. Like, let me uh, just reference back to the uh, – what was the name? Colangelo? For the 76ers when he had the leaked tweets just like, you know, crapping on his own players. Right. That's the kind of thing where we got a level of detail because it's more available to us nowadays, Where is it, if I were to see that in a documentary, I feel like there's not much more specific I can learn about it that I haven't already read. Like, I get that the distance requires, like, a generation to have the story go away, but I think that if you do look up the stories, there'll be more information available about this era right now and more takes available about it than it was about the Bulls. So it's easier to editorialize that story about the uh, the 97-98 Bulls and really about those Bulls teams in general, because I think the saturation of opinion is much lesser at that point. The, The amount of takes, the amount of different perspectives we have on a certain incident, has greatly improved now that everyone has you know media availability basically
2: yeah but i think that there's still like you know some mystery you know somebody might have sort of like a tweet back like a twitter back and forth or there might be something that happens that we get a little bit more detail on uh and there are certainly things like woge bombs which like help to you know keep things moving in a much more uh rapid fashion than they used to but i still think that you can like get you know so things like the talking head interviews that we got this time you know whether it's you know the ones on the ipads that are being shown to michael jordan in, in various times or just like hearing dennis rodman talk about his past experiences and hearing Scottie pippen you know reflect on why he didn't play why he wouldn't finish game five in the series the year that michael was on the white Sox. like all of those kinds of things i think that will get You can get more clarity from people as they reflect on it as well, Mm -hmm. which is something that we don't have right now. And even though we have everyone's instant reactions, having sort of a looking back on this, like what did we learn from this? How did we contextualize this at the time and how would it be contextualized now? I think is something that is really important for like the documentary form and is something that we that still remains open to interpretation, even though there is so much more analysis out there. Like, what does Jerry Colangelo have to say about using that second Twitter account? What do his players have to say about it? Like, we know sort of what they think. Um, and like there was a there's a really great 30 for 30 podcast that came out about like the Clippers mm-hmm. and the whole Donald Sterling thing and it was really interesting to hear what the players had to say about working with Donald Sterling that we didn't get at that time and Twitter existed then mm-hmm. it was in 2012 so i think that there is still like a lot of things to mine from this era even though we have more we have more information but the organization of it and the reflection of it is still something that is out there mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and even more so i think that Uh, Just because we have a story or we've had discussions around why a feud may have happened or why um, there may have been some backroom conversation on a team, we may have some story. We don't necessarily know if that story is actually what it was or if they're trying to do some damage control. And understand that there may be something bigger there that we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just being very careful about what gets out. And now if you wait 25 years, they might not care what gets out. Mm-hmm. It's because it's 25 years down the line. All of a sudden you get all these giant stories that we didn't know are happening right now, which could bring a lot of stuff back up. Yeah. And make it very, very interesting to rewatch again.
0: Well, that's why – yeah, you're right about the prematurity of this Tom Brady thing because – the thing about a dynasty is that you don't know you're living through a dynasty until it's over, right? Like, you don't know how long it's going to be. And we had no idea that, you know, when they won their first championship that the Warriors would win, what, three out of the next four? Like, we we didn't know that that would be the case. But after you look back on it, you're like, oh, wow, those teams were actually really, really good. Like, this is what I think about when I think about, you know, the mid-2010s Penguins. They, they won back-to-back, and that's not easy to do in hockey, but you look back and you're like, those are some good teams, but there's probably some good stories in there, you know, and hockey is probably the least interesting sport to do this about, at least after 2000, because it seems that no one's allowed to have a personality, but with basketball, where your personality is as much at the forefront as it is, actually more so than probably any other sport. In basketball, you probably have the most visibility that you would in any sport. Uh, you only you have the smallest amount of players. None of them are wearing helmets, obstructing anything. And, you know, with baseball, not everyone's on the court, at the, not everyone's on the field at the same time. Everyone's doing any, everything at the same time. Basketball is unique in that it has that ability to market a face so well. And we like it's going to be obvious that LeBron's going to make a documentary like it's just it's destined to happen. But. You know, People are having the discussion already, LeBron, MJ, who's the greatest, but I don't think that's even possible until you get these two things for each of them. I think you need the context of what were their teammates like, what was the process of building those teams like, how involved were they, and what did they specifically do to push their teammates to be better. And that was a big theme of this documentary. And I want to bring that up with you guys in terms of You know, we've heard interviews and Horace Grant has come out and said, you know, all this was lies and so on and so forth. But we've we've heard things about Michael Jordan that he maybe wasn't the best teammate, that maybe he pushed too hard sometimes. And that was acknowledged in the documentary, but not by anyone who apparently had a major issue with it. And my question to you is what was my question? to you? My question to you was basically how much do we believe of this like how much do we want to say that this is a jordan documentary that he curated and how much of this is about the 97 98 bulls specifically and their whole team
1: i mean that's a great that's a great question i think that obviously the culmination is around that 97 98 bulls team and and the the end of that dynasty i think that is the the focus there but i think that predominantly it is around Jordan, I mean, how much do we believe about what's being said is a great question. Um, I think you made a good point that the people who are on the court uh, aren't the ones who are saying that he pushed too hard or aren't the ones saying that he was over the top because they, I think, have the perspective of understanding what it took to get to where they were Mm -hmm. and what it took from him to get him to where he was. And they understand that, whereas people from the outside might be making more comments around saying, hey, I i haven't been involved in that team i'm not necessarily um as closely tied in i don't understand the steps that it took for them to win the six championships so it looks like he's pushing really hard he's literally getting into altercations with his teammates when in reality those altercations led to championships and the teammates that he was in those altercations with understood why they happened Mm -hmm. and i think the only time that that someone stepped in was when he got kicked out of practice one time yep. <laughs> and that, that was it. And be, but beyond that, they all understood it because they knew why he was doing it. They knew why he was so intense. So I do think that a lot of this is a, a bit of a, you believe some of it and you don't believe others, but I would lean towards believing more. So the people who were there in the practice facilities, they're working with him day in, day out um, rather than some people who might be commenting from the outside in. Um, although there may be some validity to their comments as well, I think I would lean more towards, uh, Jordan, the Jordan curation side of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, here's how it works. I think his teammates probably feel fairly similarly.
2: Yeah, I would say it's like 70-30, you know, it's like 70% of Jordan curated documentary and 30% about, like, the bulls of that era, uh, and a lot about the bulls in reference to Michael Jordan's bulls, you know, like, in, in into his legacy and his, the way that he led that team as he did. And I I, I also agree with Noah about the, you know, sort of Jordan pushed these people to a certain extent and they knew that. You know, you see him, you know, sort of ceaselessly taunting Scott Burrell at the end of the documentary and Burrell being like, yeah, it sucked, but I know why he did it. Like, he needed to be competitive with somebody and I was his I was the guy he picked on. And, you know, it drove him and it was fine. Best teammate ever, Uh, by the way. Scott Burrell. (laughs) You you also... (laughs) You also see Steve Kerr who like stood up to him the one time and then Michael called him and apologized and was like, we're good. You in my book, like I can trust you now. Mm -hmm. Like and it took but it took getting him to the point where he would like put physically push him back and say, like, you got to stop this because, you know, I'm I deserve to be here, too. And Michael was like, well, now you do. Mm. And, you know, it, it clearly led to a relationship like the one he had with John Paxson, where he could rely on him as a, you know, as a shooter that he could go to in a moment when he needed somebody on the outside to, to take the shot because he had brought everybody in. Um It does seem to me that, you know, this is much more in the context of of Jordan and his career, uh, which was informative for me because, you know, I had seen a couple of Jordan clips uh, growing up, but, you know, he was a lot less present in the NBA uh, when we were growing up other than as this mythical figure. So, like, I knew the shot that he had over Cleveland, and I had seen a couple other highlights, but this documentary really gets at his greatness and how he brought this team to the points where they were, which was something that I didn't know, but... It is, it is around him. I it, One of my complaints is that I wish I had seen a little bit more about the Bulls writ large, but that's not what this documentary is doing. It is curated by him. You know, he had to allow the release of the footage for it to happen. So, you know, it it, it makes sense to me that he's sort of the, the focal point of it and that it revolves around him and his career in a way that it doesn't necessarily with the Bulls in general.
0: Oh, yeah, but with Michael Jordan, we... we know that the media was already saying some of these stories like we didn't need the documentary to know that he had a reputation for being a hard ass in practice and like pushing people like that's something that came out that kind of trickled out over time as people kept you know practicing whatever and it's interesting to me because (laughs) a steve kerr coach team usurped their win record and Michael Jordan didn't say anything to Steve Kerr. He told Joe Lacob actually that the Warriors' win 73 win season meant nothing because they didn't win the championship. And yes, he's right, but it didn't. It also didn't mean nothing. <laughs> like it, it, it's right that it means less that they didn't win because the Bulls, who held the wins record for single NBA season, actually won that uh, that championship. The Warriors did not, as we know, 73 and nine was not to be. But I don't think you should minimize that. And I think there's a little bit of bitterness knowing his old teammate was the one who was responsible for coaching them there. But we, like, my main point is that we've heard these stories about Jordan, and people were hearing these stories about Jordan in practice as they were happening in a lot of ways. I'm wondering, and I'm going to bring it back to LeBron again because he seems like the most apt comparison, we don't hear anything like that about LeBron James. I'm wondering how much of that specific type of push goes on in the background. And it's two very different leadership styles. Michael Jordan is kind of like a trial-by-fire fixer-upper, like someone's can join the team if they're like proven good enough to be there but if they're not proven enough to his standards like he will just not participate with them there's just no interest he has in making them better lebron is the opposite lebron is a flipper lebron takes careers that are downtrodden carries them and gets them new contracts like he is someone that has given so many people so much money just for being a teammate of his for no consequence other than that. But I'm wondering what his influence is like in the locker room the same way. If he has these moments where he is legitimately pushing people or he had those, and if he still has them at this point of his career where he's on the Lakers, he's focusing a lot on the media. He's focusing a lot on – I mean, they were the best team in the NBA this year up to this point, but um, there was a lot of names involved in that. And I think we're getting to the point where LeBron – LeBron's always needed a little bit of help to win, as did Jordan, obviously. He had two other Hall of Famers at any given time on those Bulls championship teams. But I think he was never an underdog. Not once was he an underdog in the finals, Michael Jordan. LeBron has been in nine finals, he's been an underdog six times, I think. Something like that. Yeah, but I, LeBron has had
2: much stiffer competition, I would say, than Michael. I mean, Mike, well, you LeBron can... won his championship in Cleveland over what is probably the best other team in NBA history to face off in the finals. Like, know? I
0: hear you there, but the problem was not the, ch- the competition that Jordan had inherently in the league, because that time had a lot of good players. It had Charles Barkley, sure. it had Magic, it had Bird, it had Akeem Olajuwon, it had, you know, Dominique Wilkins it had uh, Patrick Ewing it had a bunch of names that went down in history but I think a lot of it was them like vulturing each other before they had a chance LeBron just kind of walked through the Eastern Conference a lot of times because no one could put together no one in the Eastern Conference could put together a team that could beat a LeBron team somehow it was amazing any any sort of strategy that was tried, he walked through the East every time and really the competition was out west, whereas Jordan had to face, you know, the Reggie Miller Pacers. He had to face like over and over again. That those uh Hornets teams weren't bad either. The magic with Shaquille O'Neal. Like there's The Ewing Knicks. Ewing Knicks over and over again. Yeah. Like they hated each other. And in the championship he's facing John Stockton, Carl Malone. He's facing like he's facing really good teams. So I don't know about the level of comp- I th- maybe the level of competition on average is better in LeBron's era but I don't think there's like a big big difference between how difficult their opponents were it's just that LeBron's team never came in or it did come in as a favorite a couple times but more often than not he's playing from the back foot he's carrying people to the finish line whereas Jordan is bringing out the best in people who are already good I think sort of on the
1: uh factor of their leadership styles, I think that's part and parcel to the style of play that the, that was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at these uh, games that they're playing in the playoffs, the Bulls were playing in the playoffs in the 90s, they're winning with 80 points. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, it's, it's more physical, more defensive-friendly, or you know, defensive focused game. Whereas now you have more offensive-focused, you're not as gritty physically with uh, players. Obviously, you have some still going on, but it's very, very different than it was in the 90s. And I think that the leadership style of trial by fire that that Jordan had, I think, was to get his teammates ready for that style of play when they get to the playoffs.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, he knows it's going to be happening. He knows it's going to be rough physically. He knows they're going to get pushed around if they don't learn that they have to pushed back essentially whereas now if you get pushed around the ref's going to call a foul Mm -hmm. and it's not going to be the same thing whereas refs will let them play a little bit more in the 90s and that's not an issue of the refereeing either way it's just the the transition of the game Mm -hmm. and then lebron i think has taken that into account in his leadership style and made it more of a we're a team we're going to put up as many points as we can as a team we're going to be as offensively minded as possible and then have defense as a secondary Um, obviously he'll have defensive role players on his teams, but the, the focus is so different in terms of the physicality of the game. I think that that plays greatly into their leadership styles.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And LeBron's played in the era of, you know, moving to the three, you know, like it's just a different game. You know, Michael Jordan would drive to the basket almost every time he, you know, or he would fake driving to the basket so he could step back and take a shot. Like that was his style. That was the way that they played. Like obviously they had Steve Kerr, who still has the highest three-point percentage in NBA history, which is a wild fact. Um, <laughs> and they had, you know, players who could shoot from outside, but the goal was usually get inside, get the two points, and fight for those points. Now it's, you know, let's hang out around the perimeter and shoot threes and score as many points as we can. It, it really was a different kind of game, which requires a different type of leadership and a different approach. Uh, and, you know, the and the amazing thing about Jordan that that this documentary pulls out is how many points he scored in that environment. Like he had like 30, 40 points every game. He was scoring like half of the bulls points. Uh, And whether that was by design, because like his other players were meant to sort of clear the way and be that physical presence for him, or, you know, whether it was just a factor of how good he was is something that the documentary actually sort of leaves open. Um, But it, it is interesting to see how many points he got in a physical defensive era. Like, he lived and like he you know played in and also you know it probably came from the early fact of his career that those pissed the bad boy detroit pistons were so physical and he knew that that was the only way in which he could win you know was playing a style similar to the one that had beaten him so many times early in his career
0: well jordan you know we mentioned that his scoring is obviously like a big big part of his prowess and whatnot but his defense was really like all world he had two of the best defenders in the world on the same roster for three of those championships with him and rodman and you know lebron is an amazing defender but he doesn't have that talked about as much because that you're right that's not the influence as much these days but if we're talking you know you mentioned a while back michael jordan on the wizards right he's you know not the same michael jordan that he was on the bulls but the guy still put up 20 or more points 42 times 30 or more points nine times, and 40 or more points three times, and that's as a 40-plus-year-old. So it's it's just ridiculous how much he was able to squeeze out of his career. And while those Wizards years were bad, I think it is something that, if you watch this, you're like, wow, Michael Jordan, what a success story. Like, yeah, undeniable success story. And then you get to the part of his career where he's the owner of a team that's won one playoff series in 20 years, where he came back and the Wizards didn't make the playoffs any of the years that he was there, and you know, it's a part that I think was very carefully excluded from this. I mean, it has little to do with The Last dance specifically, but it does cut into that God complex of Michael Jordan. Go
1: ahead. I'd be interested to see if they were to take uh, like an independent documentary on the aftermath of the Jordan career. Mm-hmm. So to make it independent so you don't have to rely on Jordan approving it, obviously you won't get as much access, but I think that could be really interesting to see those those post Bulls playing years, but also his um, post-playing ownership career mm-hmm. uh, and seeing how he influenced the teams that he has had, the, the, the um, teams through the years that he's had a hand in. Um, and the transition of the players that were with them, and the transition of the coaching staffs that were with them, and see why there's such a disparity between his playing level and his ownership and management level. Mm-hmm. Uh, because clearly he understands the game, yeah, it's not a matter, there's of no question, be a coach, uh, then. but there's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's that question of why, yeah, why make that jump to ownership rather than coaching, and when you make that jump to ownership, what went wrong in a way?
0: Well, the the report is that. What went wrong is that he has. He's too locked into certain trusted advisors. And, you know, those two franchises that we talk about in his career after the Bulls, the Wizards and the Hornets, slash, Bobcats, slash, Hornets, they. (laughs) They're not good teams. They haven't been good teams for a very, very long time. The Wizards had a couple of years in, like, the mid to late 2010s where, you know, John Wall was carrying them to, like, a six seed or something like that. But these teams have not even sniffed the championship in the time that he's been associated with either of them. Like, the Wizards, not as much anymore, but the, the Hornets are pathetic.
2: Yeah, and I think that there's something interesting about the way that this documentary, like like, Jordan was... So influential as a player, but he didn't curate, I don't feel, in the same way that, like, LeBron has. Like, LeBron has really chosen his teammates. He, Mm -hmm. like, showed, like, he came back to Cleveland and he was like, I want Kevin Love, go get him. Mm -hmm. Like... You know, he was like, y- "You're gonna make this deal because that's why I'm gonna come back to Cleveland." He did the same thing when he went to Miami. He did the same thing when he went to Los Angeles. Yeah. Like LeBron says, what he's going to do, and is like, "These are the moves you have to make because this is the team I need." Now, granted, Jordan didn't have to do that as much because, you know, for as much, uh, you know, for as much guff as the documentary gives him, Jerry Krause built a really good team. Mm-hmm. You know Jerry Krause drafted Scottie Pippen, and he drafted and he got Dennis Rodman at the right time, and he, you know, had brought Phil Jackson on as a coach, even you know, given their disagreements at the end. Ku coach also Jackson like speaker, from the foreign market, Coup like coach You know he was a coach was a little bit of a distraction at one point, but Ku coach was part of the was a huge part of those three teams. So, you know, Michael, it seems, was less interested in being the executive of the Bulls than being the face and the drive of the Bulls, whereas LeBron currently uh, and maybe even people like Durant and, you know, other superstars in the NBA in in this era of super teams, quote unquote, you know, they're a little bit more interested, I think, in curating the people who surround them in a way that Jordan had these people who surrounded them. and He brought out the best in them and, you know, they happen to be great players as well, but he... Worked really hard, to, I think, to 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 bring out what he thought was the best in all those players. But it wasn't about, you know, this person needs to be around me. It was like, these are the people around me and they need to be at my level.
0: Yeah, it's it's not about, like, who he hurts. It it seems like he doesn't really care what his image is to his teammates as long as they respect him. Whereas LeBron has, like, invited teammates over for taco night. You know, like, he he's the kind of guy who tries to endear himself to his teammates as much as possible. And obviously he leads by... You know, he leads by example as one of the best players in the league still, but it's a very different type of example, which is interesting to me, where in 20 years, if we have a LeBron documentary, are we going to see this side of him where he's also pushing people in practice? But the amount that he's done outside of it is just, you know, what he lets us see is so different that we just don't know. And that where, you know, the merit of space could come in.
1: Yeah, that's what I was kind of um, referring to with the social media aspect is even though we have it, we have more than we would have had in the 90s, but I don't think we have everything. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be a lot that we do learn when inevitably, as you said, we do have a LeBron documentary. Um, it's going to happen at some point. We just don't know when. Uh, and the the interesting thing is if they are able to factor in his inevitable uh, position as an owner as well, because with everything that we see now, it looks like at some point in time, LeBron's going to become an owner. Mm-hmm. Um We don't know when, we don't know what team, but we know that he wants to. Um, And it would be interesting to see if he um, is willing to include both the later years in his career, if he does taper off a little bit. Again, he's still playing at a level where that wouldn't be a a dark mark on his career. But if he did taper off a little bit, if he would be willing to include that, and then if he'd be willing to include his post-playing career as well.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, It'd be very interesting to put those two documentaries next to each other and see in the conversation of LeBron versus Michael. What does this look like if you were able to factor that in as well? Well,
0: the difference is LeBron has a media team and company that can make the documentary. (laughs) So the curation doesn't need to happen from ESPN to Michael Jordan. It's just LeBron gets to show exactly what he wants. (laughs) Yeah, you have
1: that. But also, if he does that, you're going to have people coming out and saying if they don't agree with what happened, they'll be coming out and saying, no, that's not exactly how it happened. then you have the the difference of opinions going back and forth if they do a, a pure... Um, pro LeBron curation where there's no bad look to it it, that you were going to have someone saying but what about this little thing not saying there's going to be a lot of things but if they did it that way as opposed to the way that it was done with um, uh, The Last Dance where you had some darker sides of Michael being shown not necessarily every one of them and not anything beyond what he was comfortable with. If you don't have any dark marks shown though in a documentary people are going to start saying I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should talk to some people
0: who
2: aren't on this document. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that it's... There's so much still to learn about this era of the NBA. I mean, like, we see we see what the players want us to see. You know, we see what the league wants us to see. And every once in a while you get sort of an investigative report like the Colangelo stuff. But I think Noah's right. There's so much that we don't know about practices, about the way that the coaches speak to the players. That was one of the most interesting things to me about the last dance was seeing, like, how Phil treated the players and why it it made him such a good coach was because he knew the strengths and weaknesses and what each player needed in a way that, like, you know, Michael Jordan could push, 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 and Phil would be able to counteract that with his managerial style. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just sort of knowing the best way to use those players and to to make that team as successful as it could be, uh, which involved, you know, letting Dennis Rodman go on vacation for a couple of days. And it involved, you know, knowing when to interfere at practice when Michael was pushing somebody really hard, which he sort of took a backseat to until it was too much. So... You know, that's the kind of stuff that I don't I think that people knew that Phil Jackson was a great coach, obviously, because he won six championships in the 90s. But they might not have seen the sort of, you know, Mickey Mouse details that this documentary gives us a little bit more insight into and shows us sort of the greatness of Jackson and Pippen and Rodman and the ways that they surrounded Michael and the way that, you know, their influence on the team was just as as needed as his was
0: and how much should we do we need this documentary right now especially with no you know when it first started coming out there were no active sports anywhere in the world like we have some things starting to trickle back in we have bundesliga restarting play we have you know korean baseball so on and so forth but when there were no sports you get to see some highlights of you know, some very very important games to look back on historically some some great play some like great action and it's something that i you know people were clamoring for at the time which my i guess my last question about the documentary specifically is, like, do you think this would have been as much of a hit if people weren't all in quarantine?
2: I mean, I know it was supposed to come out in and around the NBA finals, and I feel like with basketball, like, fervor at its absolute highest, people would have, like, gobbled this up. This, You know, I think that... Being in isolation and without sports right now has sort of upped the ante for how much we needed this and how nice it was to have, like, a sports-themed thing that was happening that was, you know, involved and that, you know, brought back probably certain memories for some people. And for people like us, it introduced us in a way that we maybe didn't remember to the 90s Bulls. Um, I think that it would have gotten a very similar reaction because, you know, NBA fans would have watched it and gobbled it up right away. And sports fans in general would have, if not right away, watched it at some point. But I think what, you know, this the sort of quarantine and the pandemic timing did was make everyone watch it at once, which has made it a really interesting cultural touchstone in a way that maybe it wasn't expecting to be just because it brought back all of this talk of, the 90s bulls and their greatness and is letting us have this talk in in a time where sports is pretty lean yeah and i think that's the way that they released it really helped out with quarantine as well it sort of created this pseudo
1: sunday night football feel where it's two hours every sunday for five weeks and it's just this this recurring sports moment every single week while we are in quarantine i think really put people into a schedule, gave them a a reason to watch something that's really important to sports in general, but also made it very, very accessible for everyone in in quarantine. And I think if they had released it at a completely random time, uh, if if coronavirus wasn't happening and they released it when life was, uh, everyone was out working and and taking vacations and everything, I don't know if it would have had the exact same um, reaction, the exact same uh, strength of of viewership. Um, now, if they had timed it around the NBA finals, as as Zach was mentioning, as they were planning to do, I think it would have been better than if they released it at a completely random time. But definitely nowhere close to if they when they released it here in, in quarantine. I think this is a, this was the perfect storm in a sense of when they could release it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's it's terrible that they had to be handed this perfect storm because. Obviously, we wish that this would never have happened in the first place yeah. but um, this is something that that I think gave them a very very big boost of viewership
0: yeah, and that's the thing you know even in the NBA Finals there's other fans watching baseball there's other fans watching hockey there's other fans um, watching all kinds of other sports but because this was the one thing that people flocked to that that you know eight pm. time slot was or nine pm. time slot was appointment viewing like you had to be there you had to see all the new episodes come out each week and the i am all for like weekly episodes i've i've said this many times but i appreciate with something like this especially if you release an episode you got to let it breathe you let it breathe you let people talk about it you let new insights come up out of the woodwork and all these sports writers that were working on these stories then can rehash those we get a bunch of information about each part of the story as it goes on if you drop it all at once i'm going to remember the beginning i'm going to remember the end i'm not going to remember anything in the middle that's just like human psychology. So if you do that all at once, it's very tempting to binge in one day and not get the same value out of it that you would with the two episodes weekly and two episodes is perfect too, because you want more content than just fit in one episode. But at that point you have so much to talk about after both are done that you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm set on this for a week. I can wait for more. And you're clamoring for the next episodes, but you're still like, yeah, I have plenty to digest over with this. So my last question to you to wrap up this lovely session it's been oh man this has been so much fun my question to you is in let's say we're 20 years later or it doesn't even have to be a team from right now but what last dance style documentary Like, what team would you like to see have a last dance style documentary made about them
1: i mean as a, as a suns fan i would not be opposed to the nash out of my era. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I think that our, our playoff rivalries with the Spurs would be a fun fun one to watch back with some interviews in, included in that. Um, but removing that, I would, I would probably go with uh, uh, the Warriors. I mean, it, they're, they're the closest thing that we've had to a dynasty at the moment. Um, and I think that that's really important in terms of um, people growing up and understanding the strength of certain basketball teams and the importance of creating super teams as well, that they can create this dynasty Style because super teams aren't going away anytime, right? (laughs) Being able to see like the first dynasty based on a super team that we've seen in our generation, I think would be really cool.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, selfishly, I would say the the Crosby Penguins would be where I would go. Uh (laughs)
0: Um,
2: You know, I think that that, and there's still a lot, you know, hopefully a lot of story left to go for the Penguins. You know, they still have that core of Crosby and Malkin together, Um, but uh, I, I would say that the Warriors, just in terms of the sheer influence that they've had over the sport in which they play and just the fact that, like, you know, we were talking about a LeBron documentary, but like the Warriors, you know, there's a real, there is a chance. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a high one, but there's a chance that, you know, even if Clay and Steph come back that they're not operating at the same level that they were during the Durant and, you know, so when there's a certainty conflicted. that they're not there's operating at the same yeah. level. <laughs> right. And well, I was saying, like, we don't know if they're going to get somebody else on that team to join them. We don't know sort of, the machinations yeah. that could happen in the same way that we didn't know that Durant was going to join them. Mm. But, um, you know, I there's something about that team and also you know they won three championships but they also lost two (laughs) they went to five in a row but they lost two Yeah. so there's something really interesting and they lost to the Raptors who you know have turned out to you know who turned out to be such a great team and the Cavs who challenged them all those years Yeah. so there's so many interlocking storylines about like Kawhi as the great playoff player rather than the great overall player and LeBron finally winning in Cleveland and you know Clay and and Steph winning and then adding Durant so I think that there's so much intrigue that surrounds that team and really defines what basketball was what the nba was in the 2010s that would make for a really really great documentary especially because there is like you said like there's just so much face time that we get with nba players and and factoring social media with and what we know with what we don't know would i think really make
0: for an intriguing another 10 hours of television Mm -hmm. my um I mean, my inclination is to go hockey right away, but the problem with hockey is that they're almost culturally encouraged to not have personalities. Like, I I feel like that may not be the case if you get locker room footage, but the hardest part would be to actually be allowed to get that footage. I feel like whatever you get has to be so careful because there's this weird, like, need for hockey players to limit their personalities or what they show to the media at least so mine is kind of a cheaty answer but i'm going to say in 20 years i want to look back at this top three in tennis i want to look back at federer Djokovic, nadal because we are experiencing an era where these three guys have dominated this sport for so long and so definitively that i'd love to know more and you know while it they may have rivalries between them, but, but it seems like they mostly get along. So I want to know the backstory, how they like grew as people, growing into being these great contenders. And Djokovic, there's a very clear point where he turned around. He didn't, you know, he was already good, but he kicked it up to some bizarre gear once he changed his like diet plan, all that. I want to know more about that. I think we're never going to see this level of dominance from so many people uh, in a single sport over such a long I- span.
2: I was thinking only Big Four, but I'd much rather watch that tennis documentary than a Warriors documentary. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just saying there. I mean,
1: I grew up playing tennis, so I would do that. I was only thinking Big Four also. No, that's fair. And, like,
0: Big Four, there's plenty of candidates. I never want to watch this Patriots documentary. I'll tell you that right now. I (laughs) never. not interested in that well
2: anyway but i i don't want to (laughs) i've watched
0: the devils one that i've made in my mind for the 95 to 2003 (laughs) dynasty teams i don't care about the blackhawks i don't care about the kings like i just the stories i want to hear are like those 90s knicks maybe because i've heard so much about them being someone who grew up around new york his whole life it's like people are very fond of those ewing knicks teams this john starks you know those kinds of knicks teams and they didn't win but they lost to some historic teams in the Bulls the Rockets and the Spurs (laughs) so I'd love to see like their angle of it because the Knicks are such a crap show now but regardless it might be interesting in 20 years to look back at these last 5 years in the Knicks and just be like what happened how are they so dysfunctional this entire time and that's just my want as a Nets fan to diss the Knicks over and over again but (laughs) that all being said I think this is a good spot to close what say you boys i think so yeah all right well noah where can people find your wonderful presence online
1: oh online uh my twitter is nsuchoff n-s-u-c-h-o-f-f uh instagram is the same (laughs) feel free to to follow me on either of those happy
0: to have you um but yeah all right zach how about you uh you
2: can find myself at zach marlin on twitter Uh, zachmarlin.com for writings from
0: five months ago but hopefully something
2: new soon (laughs) Uh, and also where this podcast is hosted
0: Hooray! and yeah you can find me on twitter at danroz623 and also again thank you Noah for joining us on this Sunday morning which has now bled into the afternoon uh, on a technicality but yeah that's been Trivial Matters with Dan and Zach and Noah this time so thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next week